Welcome to Season 2 of Overcoming Working Mum Burnout. I'm your host, Dr. Jacqueline Kerr, mum, burnout survivor, and behavior change scientist. I interview international burnout experts, HR and DEI leaders, and lifestyle coaches to find out how we can create individual, organizational, and cultural change to prevent burnout. When mums thrive, the world benefits. This week, I'm learning about moving on from toxic workplace burnout with journalist, author, digital media expert, and app developer, Joe Angel Concepcion. I wanted to speak to Joe Angel because I heard her story on the Absolutely Not podcast. Her experience was raw and impactful. She didn't describe it as burnout there, but to me it sounded like burnout. I was also totally impressed that Joe Angel had developed and launched an app to track workplace toxicity and connect it with daily mental health based on her experience. This is not only such a helpful tool, but Joe Angel is working with other organizations to prevent workplace bullying, which affects 76 million Americans. Joe Angel also provides insight into her experience of burnout as a Latina from an immigrant family. This week's Behavior Change Guide, based on the episode and Joe Angel's advice, focuses on using an app to track your mental health at work. You can find the guide and Joe Angel's key takeaways on the episode website, drjacquelinecurr.com. And next week, I'll be doing a mini episode on how to set up a plan for using an app to track your mental health at work, as recommended by Joe Angel. I hope you enjoy our conversation as much as I did. Please be advised, some of the content could be triggering. My name is Joe Angel Concepcion. I am a mother of one fierce little lady, and I am the founder of Trail Mobile App. And my family is from the Dominican Republic, and I am also a former journalist. Thank you very much. If you could briefly describe your journey to where you are now in your career, that would be great. So when I was in high school, I was an overachiever and I ended up not going to college directly after high school. So when I graduated college from Temple University in Philadelphia, I was 27 years old. And I look back on that now that we are talking about all of our experiences. And I was like, why didn't I go to college right after um, high school? And it was because I was burned out. <laughs> so I did make my way to college and I started my career shortly after when I was 28. And I started my career down on the border in McAllen, Texas as an on-air journalist working for an NBC affiliate. I, I worked my way up to Rochester for another NBC affiliate. And then I made my way down to Fox in Dallas, Texas. I had an incredible career as a journalist. It is a very demanding career. And I decided to leave the media back in 2015 because of um, just my experiences. And, and like I mentioned before, just I, I was burnt and I ended up just going behind the scenes. So now I am in the digital world. I am a senior director for digital media for an association here in, in Washington, D.C. I have a lot of fun with what I do. I feel better being behind the scenes. 
So I've just gone from in front of the camera to behind the camera, and I'm just constantly um, in a creative space. So I, I feel really good where I am. I was able to develop a, a, a mobile app. So there's a lot going on in my world, aside from being a senior director and being a mom and also running a mobile app. That's where I am right now in my career, and I, I'm very proud of where I am. And I'm very curious to where my future will go in the future, especially after the pandemic. <laughs> you did mention there that you felt burnt out after high school. And I suppose I might feel like I had a similar experience in terms of I worked so hard to get to university that by the time I was there, I was done already. So tell me a little bit about that experience briefly. Why did you feel burnout at that stage? When I was in high school, I was involved in a lot. Obviously, I was a cheerleader. I belonged to a lot of clubs, but I was also a state officer for an organization called DECA for the state of Florida. And I was competing in entrepreneurship categories. I was creating career projected plans for a coffee shop I wanted to own. There was so much going into these projects and, and, and my role as a director that by the time it was time to go to college, I said, wow, I just need a break. I'm pro break, especially after high school. I always tell my nephew and my niece, if you need to take a break, please take one, but just don't take it for too long. <laughs> you know, you, you get too comfortable. I, if I made a thousand dollar waitressing on South Beach and you're having a great time too, you got to move on to the next thing. And Right. I agree. Cause I think I would have um, benefited from that break so that I came back to university hungry to learn again and ready that different experience is so helpful. So can you share some of the workplace experiences that you had that led to your burnout and leaving? And I know this could be difficult for you to share and could be difficult for some people to hear. So we really appreciate you sharing this story. I appreciate it. I really appreciate that. Being a journalist and Lord knows there's a lot to be said about the media, especially nowadays. The media that is the media now is not what I was trained to be when I was in journalism. There's a lot that goes on that I do not agree with. Before anyone, you know, really starts to judge journalists, it is a long road. And when you start as a, your career as a journalist, you literally uh, make about $17,000 a year in the U.S. And you go to a, a very small market away from your family, away from everything you know. And you're on this really tight budget and you're expected to go out there and really deal with a lot of heavy material. So when I started my career on the border, I was covering home invasions. I was covering sexual assaults. I was covering gang warfare, spillover violence from Mexico. I saw dead bodies. I saw bloody murder scenes. And it was so fast. And there's so much information as a journalist that it's hard for your brain and for your body even to keep up with itself because there's so many moving parts. And it's so difficult because you're trying to inform the public and say, this happens here. Be careful here. Don't go on this road. But even though we say don't go on this road, journalists go on that road. We're out there telling you not to go into the hurricane, but we're out in the, with the hurricane. That All of that, including the workload that I have. So it was a constant work because you're putting in your dues. And the goal is that one day you'll be on the big networks and you'll make money and it'll be all worth it. For me, when I climbed the ladder, I made it to Dallas, which was the fifth market at that time. And it was my dream job and it was supposed to be everything that I wanted it to be. But I did experience a high level of bullying and discrimination and all these things that I reported on for other people were really happening to me inside of my own newsroom. So I would go out and uh, report on really heavy stuff. And then I would come back in and deal with this kind of treatment inside. And, and so 
I knew that after I got sick, and when I say I got sick, it was hair loss, deep depression, a lot of anxiety. And, and I think the reason why I was so depressed is because I went through so much to get to that point. And then when I got to this fancy job, I looked around and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I worked so hard to get to this moment. And my hair is falling out and I can't sleep and I have anxiety and I'm being constantly criticized by my bosses. And it was just a really awful experience. But when I left there, I, I could have continued my career elsewhere. But because I was so burnt out, not just from the bullying and, and, and the harassment, but from everything I was covering and just the go, 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 go anxious mentality that journalists battle with every day, regardless of what they tell you or not on the surface. They do battle a serious amount of anxiety to get the news out there. It's just that kind of business. I just couldn't see myself continuing that kind of lifestyle. But once I got a taste of sitting by the lake or actually not worrying all the time about what's happening, what's breaking, what stories can I bring to the table that really need light, but that my bosses don't want me to cover. Once I got that taste of just freedom, I understood that it wasn't just the bullying. It wasn't just... The, the harassment, I was completely burnt out and I needed a moment to take care of myself because if I didn't, I would continue on a path where it could have led to a worse place because I wasn't a really bad place. And I'm not afraid to say that because I want people to know that. And especially when you look at your on-air journalist with the great looking hair that everybody wants, maybe in the back of their head, their hair is falling out like mine was because I was so stressed out. It's so important to talk about these things. The reason why I, I left that career behind is because of the burnout and just being in a toxic workplace, period, will drive anybody out. And so those two things, I was able to pick up and leave and reinvent myself. I still do media. It's been interesting for me. Not a lot of people can do that. A lot of people turn and go to a completely different career. But for me, I was able to pivot. And I'm grateful for my health more than ever. So thanks for sharing that. I think some people will be able to relate to what you're saying from the context of being in a, a stressful job that's never ending. I think at least we're really good with our therapists, making sure that they have therapy so that they can also process what they're going through. But it seems like there's many roles in life, like journalists, social worker, advocates, organizers, who also see a lot of trauma and like you mentioned, death, and that we do need a space for the mental health of people that are in those positions. And, and focusing a little bit more on the, the toxic workplace environment that you mentioned, because there could be people that aren't in that type of job that you were in, where there was the job-related work stress, like the job function work stress, versus they could be in a work environment where they're experiencing these sort of daily toxicities. So what was your experience as a Latina, as a woman in that environment that maybe others could hear and think about how they cope with that or how they process it or, or, or what others can do to prevent it, but also what they can do to move out of that situation? I look back and I always ask myself, what could I have done differently before I took that job? And, and at times, a lot of these companies, they hide a lot of what's going on um, behind the scenes because they want you to come on. They need someone to report the news or they need someone to fill that role. I think that you really do have to pay attention to the warning signs when you are interviewing. I think you should research the company as much as you can. Nowadays, you have places like Glassdoor where employees literally write 
the good and bad on there and you can make your own interpretation of that. And in terms of being a Latina, I didn't really know until after I took the job that they had a high turnover rate with Latinas. There was obviously a problem with either the way they felt about Latinas or there was just a problem. And I spoke to many Latinas who worked there after I got the job because they had no idea. And it was just a very um, eye-opening experience because when you're battling these workplace environments that aren't that healthy, you really start to feel crazy. (laughs) You're like, is this happening to me or is this for real? And it turns out it is. These things happen. And if you do go somewhere uh, or you're trying to go somewhere and, and start a new path, a new job, and you're the only um, Latina there, or they have a, a very low diversity rate, I guess you would call it. That's a problem. That's not to say that companies aren't trying, but for me, I don't think that I could ever work for a place that I don't feel comfortable right off the bat with who I am as a Latina. I think you should ask the companies or the people you're interviewing with, how do you feel about diversity? They may not like that. And you may, you may dodge a bullet by them not hiring you. So I think asking important questions is something that maybe I, I was just so excited to, to land a big job. Don't let that get in the way or blind your vision because a lot of these places that are these huge jobs and everybody wants to be there, they might not be a really great place to work as a Latina or or as somebody who's just a very skilled worker, they might not deserve you. So you have to ask questions. You have to make sure that it's for you on all levels. I definitely made the mistake of not doing as much research as I should have. And again, there's a lot more information out there now than there was 10 years ago. And and so look it up and don't let the salary um, blind you. When I jumped to Dallas, they pretty much doubled my salary. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't have to ration my my meals. throughout the week. And I was so excited to make more money, but I'd rather have lived on a very little salary than go through what I went through. Yeah, that's so important. And thanks for sharing that. Because I think these are really difficult decisions to make about our careers and what we're willing to put up with for some career that we want. I think too, it's changing in terms of, at the moment, it's certainly a um, job candidates market. So we can start to ask these questions, ask how many women managers there are who are of different ethnicity and cultural heritage, women of color, et cetera. So I I think it's so important that we start to ask these questions because I think when companies start to see that they're losing out on hires because they can't answer those questions or the way they handle those questions, I feel like there are some organizations now out there putting out kind of lists of questions that put the power in the candidate to actually be judging the employer now. So it seems like a really great time for people to be doing that because of the market partly. So one of the things you also shared with me is cultural expectations and the the such a strong work ethic that you grew up with that made burning out even harder for you. Yeah, you know, I've been working since I was 14 years old. From the very beginning, my parents are both hard workers. I barely saw my mom growing up because she was always working till nine o'clock at night. My dad took on a lot of the household responsibilities because my mom would be there in the morning, but she wouldn't be there at night. And it, 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 it was just like a constant work schedule for both of them. And that's what I saw growing up. So I thought that's just how you live your life. You just work. My parents came from the Dominican Republic back in the uh, 70s. 
and they got a job. So for them, they said, my daughter has a job and she has a good job and you know, she has to work hard, then good. It was never, oh, you can get a better job than that. It was always like you had to have just a job. You had to have some kind of income coming in. It didn't matter what you did because that's how it was. You, you come to America and you have an opportunity to get a job no matter what it is. You have a job. That's what I grew up watching. That's how I, I've lived my life. And there were times in my life where I had two, three jobs. I wanted to make the money. I wanted to move to New York. And I didn't realize that wasn't how other people really live their lives. Now, when I decided to leave the media, I was on TV and it was like this huge deal for my parents. And I was like, no, I, I feel sick. I don't think I could do this. And they were just like, what do you mean? You're doing so well. And oh my gosh. And they didn't, they don't understand what taking a break is. They don't under, they didn't understand that uh, my mental health was suffering and I had to stop because they worked through that themselves. And I worked through that for a long time in my life because I look back on my entire history and I know that there were times where I was burnt out. And when I was going to school, I was bartending till two o'clock in the morning and then getting up and going to school and taking exams. Like, I just thought that's just what you did. It's called, quote, putting in your dues, right? But it's not because at the end of the day, if you're just like completely spent, all that energy that you put into learning something or learning a craft and really being good at something, it's just going to go to waste because you're not really taking in everything that you need to take in. I'm hoping to break that from watching my parents. And I think I have my daughter. She's 10 months old. Love her to death. And I'm going to make sure that she knows that if you need to take a break, you, you can. But the other thing is, is my parents constantly point out to me is that they couldn't take a break. They didn't have the money to do that. And I think it goes into when I say I'm breaking that cultural mandatory work life is because I actually have put myself in a place where I can make a certain amount of money, where I am saving money, where if I need to take a break, I will. My parents didn't have that opportunity. Like they worked, they had money saved, but then they had their kids. They had all these things that were taking up their budget. For me, learning from them, I made sure my entire life, I was just always so scared to, to be in that role. Even if I had to struggle for a couple of weeks, I always made sure I had money saved so that if I needed to take a break, I could. And that's what happened. Luckily for me, that's what happened. When I left the media, I had a, a little bit of savings where I can take a deep breath and heal. And, but my parents couldn't do that. And they do tell me that all the time. They're like, what did you want us to do? <laughs> and it makes me feel terrible, but I, you know, have finally gotten to a place where I can say that if I need to take a break, I can. And that means more to my parents, to me, than you'll ever know, because that's just not something that people in my culture do a lot. I, I know that's changing all over across the board. I'm not saying that there's people out there who don't do that, but I know that for Latinas, they'll know exactly what I mean. <laughs> it's so hard to explain to your own parents when you are trying to heal and take care of yourself. And that made it really hard for me to acknowledge my burnout experience. Well, thanks so much for sharing that. I, I understand it's really deeply personal as well. And just because you mentioned being a mom there, how has motherhood changed how you feel about things how are you coping with motherhood just you said 10 months in and and probably you're recognizing your daughter what I recognize in mine is oh my god she's industrious even if she's building a sandcastle oh my god she's busy and I'm like okay this girl is so driven like I am and what do I do to help teach her to balance that no you know it, I can't believe you just nailed it because we have so many interactive toys and things going on in the house and she just gets so bored. She's like, I'm done with this. What's the next? 
what are we doing now? And, and what's the next thing that you want me to figure out? And I'm just like, oh my gosh, she's exactly like me. It's insane. But one thing that I've heard my entire life is that these kids, they don't come with a manual. And I was always like, oh, that's funny. But no, it's true. They really don't come with a manual. And I'm taking it day by day. She's only 10 months. But I can tell you that the things that I've learned in my life, especially when it comes to just the constant grind and how unhealthy it can be in the long run, she will know about that. My parents never talked to me about that or, or, or said, hey, I wish you could take a break. There were no conversations about that. So I think the communication with my daughter is going to change a lot culturally, generationally for me. And not just like with that, it's also with life insurance, for instance. So my parents didn't have life insurance. You know, it's a cultural thing. They didn't know. They came here from the Dominican Republic. They didn't know. I have life insurance for me so that she can succeed in life and that she can end up buying properties and all these things. My parents burn themselves out working and they have their savings. Don't get me wrong, but it's just changing everything across the board generationally for me when it comes to my daughter. I'm going to make sure that she's in a position where she knows it's okay to work hard, but to also take in what you're doing and don't take on too much. She's going to learn from me and her dad's the same way. So we have a problem. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's interesting. My husband has his own business and is also a very hard worker. So we know that we convey this hard work ethic to our kids. But actually, one thing I, I learned through some of my um, coaching experiences for, for learning how to communicate with my son. So my son's on the autism spectrum. So when we got that diagnosis, we were learning with a coach, a family coach, how do we communicate with him in a different way that he can understand and process the information we're giving him. And just in those discussions, we really got this sense that my son needed to have some control of something in his life. And he was quite young then, even 10 or so. But one of the things that the, the coach said to us is, how about you guys have a mental health day where basically he chooses everything he wants to do in that day. That whole day is in his hands. And so I was just like shocked at this idea, like what, a mental health day? I've never heard of such a thing. And, and so then we started doing them. I must say the first time my son did it, he thought like the mental health day meant he could control the rest of us. So he was saying, you can't eat that today. <laughs> I was like, okay, no, no, no. This means you have control over you, not over us, because we're all having our mental health day today. And it's so great. On those days, I love it. I don't tell the kids to do anything. It's such freedom for me too, because on those mental health days, I'm not mom either. So the whole family just chooses to do what they want to do all day. And we have them like once every two months. And the kids are always so looking forward to them. When's our next mental health day? I love that we call it that because they realize it is for their health, their mental health. We actually say those words because, again, I never thought about mental health at all before my burnout. Especially in the Latino community, you don't talk about that. You just don't. I Even when Meghan Markle was sharing her, her battle with suicidal thoughts, I think it was, what is it, like six months ago with Oprah. I was watching it with my mom. I don't know why she's sharing this. This is so personal. She's just not used to hearing anybody talk about it or anything. And I said, mom, this is going to help actually a lot of people look up a lot of people look up to her. And she was like, okay. I feel like she understood. It's just not something that's talked about. It's more like just suck it up and work and shut up. That's how it was growing up for her. And for me, and I just, I don't want that for my daughter. Do I want her to work hard? Absolutely. But I want her to understand that there's balance. So I know you had also mentioned that your burnout journey or burnout recovery did take quite a long time. And I wanted listeners to hear that experience a little bit, because I think people feel like 
often companies are saying, well, take a week off of vacation. And, you know, that is not going to fix this. So could you just share a little bit about that? Because like you said, even now, sometimes thinking back to your experience still is traumatic for you. So it's with you. It is. And and I always say that I'm never going to be the person that I was before that all happened to me because I was that spent. Like I really was that spent. You're absolutely right. And it takes so long to, to heal, not just from a really heavy career, but also from the things that happened with harassment and things like that. So physically I got back in shape. I started eating better, all these things, but mentally that's where it felt really difficult. I really had to find a place. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. I found joy in helping other people. And that's always been my thing. That's why I became a reporter. So I got to find the missing people, educate the public, all of these things. And I had so much joy doing that, but I didn't have that anymore. So what can I do to help others? So I found what made me feel good. And a lot of people that I speak to in the the toxic workplace space and that are helping others, that's their foundation as well. And so you really have to find what makes you happy and try to pivot in that way. And I was lucky to be able to uh, pivot in my career and I was able to be creative. I was able to, to just do so much. And I feel really good about that. But I had to reevaluate everything. I went to a meditation class back then and they said, go to your happy place. Think about your happy place. And I walked out of the class because they said, I don't have a happy place. Oh my gosh. So it's okay to not have a happy place, but you have to find it eventually and you will. And that's what I tell people. So it really took a long time. I'm very pro therapy. I went through a lot of therapy and I was very grateful for the help I received and just talking with somebody you don't know. And and I don't really like talking about my experiences because I do still feel triggered and it's crazy because it's been six years and I still feel like uncomfortable talking about it, but I have to, because you have to talk to people because the more you bottle it in, it's just, it's just going to sit there and just manifest. But the more you talk to people, you really understand that a lot of people have been through what you've been through and you can relate and you can say, oh my gosh. And then you start feeling like a survivor. Once you start feeling like a survivor, you're like, okay, I'm ready to take on the world. But it's a daily, every day I battle certain thoughts. Like I'm still, it's it's insane how, how that can happen. I still have PTS from reporting and the things that I've seen that nobody should see. And I just really just keep my best foot forward. I, I keep focused on what's important which is helping other people, making sure my daughter um, doesn't end up burned out like me. <laughs> and that and that I just stay focused on the things that make me feel happy. So I, I do have a message for everyone out about to walk away from something that's really bad for them. I want them to know it's, it's going to be completely okay. It's 100% okay to feel what you're feeling and that you're not alone with that. And that it's going to take some time and just take your time. Do not rush the healing process. That is the number one thing. Do not rush it. But I wish that there was a way that I can just wave a wand and make it different for a lot of people. But that's where my heart is at now. So I'm doing it little by little. Thank you again so much for that. And again, for for sharing, because I know it's difficult and I really appreciate that. 
And so that's where you're at now. You are helping other people through this trail mobile app that you have created. And just to remind our listeners, you're a journalist and you have now created this digital app. So I have thought about that and I I worked in research projects that did apps, but I was so intimidated thinking about that. And you have done it. I'm so impressed. And as a behavioral scientist, I'm so impressed by what you're doing with this app. So yeah, tell everybody about it. What does it do and why is it so important? For sure. Thank you so much for your kind words. And this has been since I left the news. So it's been a five, six years of research and just trying to get it right to launch this app. When I was at the last place that I worked at, the unmentionable place, I used to write down everything that I did that was good and bad every day. I saved all my emails, my doctor's notes. I saved everything so that I can go back when they were attacking me and say, actually, that didn't happen. Or to assess my own thoughts and say, wow, this is really going on. I can't believe this is happening to me. Instead of thinking that it, it was just me and I'm a horrible journalist and a horrible person and I don't know what I'm doing. So essentially what I did is I took that notebook and created the app. So the Trail Mobile app allows you to do that. It allows you to store everything. You can journal, you can um, upload any pictures, emails, doctor's notes, you can upload voice memos. And one of the really cool features is that you can also just tap a mood emoji for the day. So let's say you're feeling anxious and you don't really want to talk about the day. You don't have time to talk about the day. You just easily go in and, and just log that you're anxious through the emojis. Now, when you're ready to export the report, whether it's for yourself to assess your own mental health, or if it's to take to a medical expert or a, a legal expert, you can literally just export your report. And it'll break down all the emojis. So it'll tell you, hey, you felt you were anxious 11 times this month. You were depressed twice. You were actually happy for three days this month. It really paints the picture of what you're going through. And while you're doing that, it also, you know, creates a, a formal document that's timestamped what you were going through. And it just can be helpful in a number of ways, depending on how the user wants to use it. So I... I know how much it helped me writing everything down, making sure that I stored evidence and, and things that you know were going on. And I know that it's helping people already and it makes me feel so good. I'm partnering with a lot of initiatives and people who are on the same mission and this is so needed. A lot of times people go to their lawyer and they have a box full of papers and that's not going to help the case. And it's not going to help us change the mindset of these companies because People don't move, companies especially don't move unless you hit them in their pockets. So as these companies realize that Trail Mobile app is coming for them, and you have these employees that are logging how horrible you treat people, they're going to be forced to change. And if that's what we have to do, then I'm on board because I don't want what happened to me to happen to anybody. And unfortunately, it happens to 76 million people in America. That's what the study says for 20 21 from the Workplace Bullying Institute. And that's terrible. 76 million people have experienced or witnessed some kind of bullying in the United States. And that breaks my heart. So if I can put a dent in that and just make people feel like they have a tool that empowers them, I'm 100% on board. And that's exactly what Trail Mobile app was created for. It's just amazing because like you say, there's a gap in the market. (laughs) Calling it a market sounds heartless, but really there aren't tools for people. There's tools for people to record their mood in terms of some of these other types of apps, but not to connect the workplace environment, workplace toxicity with their mood, but also those specific behaviors. Because when you think that 
maybe you experience gaslighting, then you're not sure. You're not sure if it's you. But also, are we focusing on the negative too much or are we focusing on the positive too much? So having these numbers of specific behaviors that we can then look at and say, okay, these are related to how I'm feeling. I think some people might not always put those two things together. For me, I think equity and inclusion are really related to burnout and I want them to be together, but you've put it together really closely in this app, which I think is so important. Thank you. It's crazy because it's one of those things that like, I feel like should have been around for a really long time. I think that the thought of how much money some of these companies have, that it makes employees feel like, what's the point? They're never going to believe me. If you have it timestamped and you have everything in a nice little report, they're going to start believing you. That's what I think. And I could also see as we try to change things. So let's look on the positive side that if there become more clear interventions that we can do to improve environments, and if there are specific behaviors we wanting to see less of, having your app can also help people assess and evaluate when they are doing something more positively. And so I can also see that being really great. And you mentioned like Glassdoor previously, if the Trail mobile app can say, here's typical levels of these behaviors in these companies, it's just such valuable data for so many, for for the individual, but I think also for companies at so many levels. If that's what it's going to take. And also like looking back at a report where you can find patterns. Like I knew that on Thursdays and Fridays, I was actually okay. Like I wasn't upset when I started looking at my patterns and it's because the main person who was bullying me was off on those days. (laughs) So you get to look back at things like that and identify exactly why you're feeling so anxious or depressed or or defeated. These particular days, you start realizing that there are a lot of patterns that you you knew were there, but now it's all laid out for you. So I agree. It's just so many different levels and um, I, at the end of the day, I just want to help people and make sure that they feel empowered because I know what it's like to feel not empowered. And also, I think that timestamp matching, because if you're saying these behaviors only happening on certain days and you can match those timestamps to time cards or work schedules, again, it, it's so powerful. So I'm always looking for solutions. And I really see that your Trail Mobile app is part of the solution because part of the solution is documenting and accountability but but what do you wish companies did more for women and and latinas in particular honestly i think it all starts with paying people what they're worth that is just an unacceptable issue we have here in the states and, and around the world i i really think that is the start of it all and also giving women and people of color opportunities along the way i had a couple of people that really looked out for me and they said hey i think you'd really benefit from this leadership course do you want to take it i'll make sure that it's paid for and i was like i never thought of that before but sure it's a free class and it changed my life if companies invest in in their employees more especially women and and women of color. I think that'll just go a long way. We're we're not just here to just work and burn ourselves out and die for you. Like we're actually human beings that actually want to succeed and grow. (laughs) But I I think that's where it starts and and we're just so behind with it. And the pandemic, I know, put a huge dent in um, the workforce when it comes to women and Latinas and and opportunities. But there's gotta be more of an effort. And do I see that in some places? Absolutely. But hiring one Latina or one woman 
they're putting one woman in a leadership role, that's just not enough anymore. And what it does is that it wakes other Latinas and other women up and say, wow, this person's in that position of power. I can do that one day. Instead of being like, oh, I'm just going to look at my mom did and she just works till 10 o'clock at night every night. And I guess I'll do that for the rest of my life. No, there's opportunity. Look at what she did. We're just so behind. And I'm trying to get my hands and dirty and, and work with people, with several organizations that are trying to continue the dialogue with that because it's just such an unacceptable thing going on right now. But if you are in a leadership role in a company and you're looking for re- ways to change the dynamic, bring a woman's perspective in. Like we're not just there to, to type. And it's so weird to say that. And I know you probably understand what I mean, Jacqueline, because like, it's so weird to say it out loud because it's just something that shouldn't even be happening. It's like such a weird mm-hmm. thing to, to discuss because it's so obvious. But I understand why you asked the question. And I understand why it's needed. And that is that is the number one way. Increase pay and and create more opportunity for for women and for people of color. Please. So what you describe really sounds like a, a sponsorship opportunity because it's more than just mentoring. It really is providing those opportunities to grow, et cetera. And, and I agree. It's so weird that we're having this conversation. One of the ways that I really came alert to it was one, I talked to a lot of older women and I was suddenly thinking, it's the same 50 years on. What are we doing? We're still in this status quo. And also, I think the difference between coming from Europe to the US, I saw just like how behind the US is in so many things, equal pay and, and women's um, rights in, in terms of maternity leave and childcare pay, et cetera. So it does seem odd to be having these conversations is really, are we still in the 1950s? But that's what it feels like post-COVID. So I do feel like we need to help women get comfortable having these conversations because I agree they still sound strange, but the the data, again, back to data, bears it out. The numbers of women of color in Fortune 500 leadership CEO positions is so low, but for women overall, it's only 6%. So I agree. I think that's the conversation I keep trying to come back to is, well, it doesn't matter what you believe is reality, the numbers are telling us what the reality is and they're not lying. (laughs) No. And I would love to reach a point where if I become the CEO of a huge fortune 500 company, I would like for that to not make the news. I want it to be where we're just being valued everywhere or we're being recognized that, Hey, I can fill these shoes. Like I should have been in these shoes. Somebody like me should have been in these shoes. That's what I would love. But it's going to take a a major mindset uh, change for many companies. It's just, again, it's just so weird to talk about it. And you don't even get me started on the maternity leave because I just went through that. And I think one of the things that you shared with me previously was about unpaid internships. So I think folks like you in journalism and myself in academia and legal profession, where there is this long career training process. And what you had said is unpaid internships in that situation just are not feasible for people who need an income. They don't have the comfort of saying, yes, I can work unpaid. And so I agree, it is back to, we always feel like we're paying our dues through that time, but it really shouldn't be. We're working, we're offering something, innovative new ideas even, but they're not being paid. So it's so interesting because I feel like career women, as I say, in these careers that involve a lot of training medicine, for example, as well, we're the ones burning out. 
Yeah. It's crazy how when I was interning, it was all women. It was just a bunch of us doing great free work. It was like we were assistants. And yes, you put in your dues. And I get why it was all happening. I, I get why it was created. But times have changed. And especially if you look at now what things cost and rent and everything. Like when I was in college, like I said, I was bartending till two in the morning. I didn't want to bartend till two in the morning. I was bartending, interning, going to school full-time and working. And, and that's the thing as well with, you know, Latinas and, and women of color. We don't have that padding where we can intern. We can just work for free. What, how are we supposed to maintain our household? How are we supposed to do everything that life is being thrown at us to survive? How are we supposed to survive? Because when I was interning, I did intern with quite a few white women and they were just so like carefree. And I'm sitting here like jittery. I was up till two in the morning. And I just remember being like, wow. And I had conversations with them and they would say, oh no, my parents are paying for my college, they're paying my way. And I'm not saying that every um, white woman has had luxury, trust me, that's not what I'm saying. But I will say it is very difficult for, speaking of my experience for a Latina to just take that valuable time and balance it out with work and, and everything that comes with getting a degree. And that includes obviously an unpaid internship and then just having a choice. Do I intern or do I work a few hours so that I can make more money so I can eat? My parents can't give me money. That is an issue. And at the National Association of Hispanic Journalists and for Black Journalists, they talk about that a lot because it is something that, that happens in the journalism field. And so I think that needs to change as well. A lot of interns are really hungry to learn. And they're doing good work. So they're worth the pay. Probably more than the employees they have on. Who knows? I think that's so important to identify these structural barriers to women being able to be seen and lead in these professions that do have a lot of influence. That's the thing. We want to see women journalists. We want to have stories in the media that are written by moms of color reflecting the world from their eyes because there's a statistic like only 20% of news sources are from women and we don't have people of diverse perspectives out there in places that are influential. So just to end, I always like to end up with listeners having a sense of something they could start today, a behavior change that they could do today to help set them on the path to feeling like they're, they're gaining control and just starting that journey of making a change. So whether that's in their company or for their own personal health or something you want a company to do today. So what would be one thing you would recommend to working moms to do today? Well, aside from downloading the app, I recommend for moms, especially moms that are really burned out, don't be afraid to take a deep breath. And what I mean by that is when I had my daughter, I had so many people tell me like, hey, if you want to talk, I'm here. So it scared the crap out of me. And I made it my goal to set aside time for myself. And I know that there are women out there with a lot of kids and, and it's really hard. There's a lot going on, but you have to take a deep breath. And doing that, I think, saved me in the last six months that I was able to just continue because it was obviously very hard. I'm very focused on work. So I just say, take a really deep breath and don't be ashamed to take a really deep breath and get the help where you can get it. I don't have family around. I don't have friends around, but if my partner or my friend can watch the baby for 20 minutes where I can just have 20 minutes to myself, do it and don't feel bad about it. That's what I say to moms when it comes to women in the workforce. 
I say own what you know and own what you don't know. So if you are in a position where you are either being harassed or bullied or that you're feeling like you're not good enough or that someone's making you feel like you're not good enough, remember there's a saying, I always see this meme everywhere. You have to straighten your crown. Like you have to really own what you know because you wouldn't be in that position if you didn't work hard for it. And I think a lot of women need to hear that and just keep going. And one day that leadership role is going to open up and the right person is going to be in the right place and pull you right up. So I guess those are the two things I would say. And I just, I hope and pray for a better, more exposure for women worldwide. I'm hundred percent dedicated to it and things just have to change and we have to force it. And I think a lot of women aren't going to take it anymore. And I'm just here along for the ride with them. Thanks so much for listening. You can find additional resources on my website, drjacquelinecurr.com. Please send me feedback and your ideas for episodes or guests and subscribe or follow wherever you listen. And please remember, burnout can be related to serious health problems. If you're experiencing physical or mental health symptoms, please contact a health provider or call the appropriate helpline. This podcast does not replace medical advice. Take care. Take control, you're a fighter. Push the limits and see it, you're all. Feel the pain.